It's nice to see friends here. Returning alumni, it's great to see you. Yeah, it's so wonderful having people return. It like warms my heart. Oh, it warms my heart. Speaking of heart, heart, hearts that are warmed. Oh my goodness. So every once in a while during pre-service prayer, I have this experience where it is just like I'm overwhelmed. Um, not, not in an anxious way, actually the opposite. I'm overwhelmed um, with possibility, maybe. Um, but I, I, I look at you. <laughs> And I, I see you, and I, and I am often, um, and I often have this moment with the Lord, and it's just a, a matter of, oh my goodness, wow, God, what you are going to do, what you're going to do in these people brings me to like great emotion. It brings me to like verklemptedness. It like just overwhelms me. And so I am, I am, I, I love you. And, um, tonight as we were praying outside, it was so beautiful. So beautiful. Alyssa, where are you? Thanks for leading that. I don't know. Where are you? There you are. Thank you for leading that. That was beautiful. That's probably the only time we're going to be able to do that. But um, so beautiful. And I just had this picture, um, like God coming behind each each person that was there. And, and it was not exclusive to just the people that were there. It was just sort of a picture of God and his relationship to you. And, um, and it was if. He was putting like a blanket on every person's shoulders. You were sitting there and I was standing behind and I could just a parent coming and putting like a, a comfort blanket around each shoulder. And, and it was very much, it was this, this beautiful picture of God's comfort, the Holy Spirit's comfort, um, but also the Holy Spirit's power on your lives. Um, and, uh, and so it was a reminder to you that the Holy Spirit who is within you comforts you and gives you great power and authority. And uh, it was a wonderful picture for me and just really encouraging. So I wanted to share that picture with you this evening before we moved into our, our, te- our text for the night. So I'd like for us to actually read our text full stop again um, so that we get a sense of um, of the full the full picture, so we've been going through Second Peter chapter one, verses one through eleven, and we've been talking about faith, right? And so um, here is our text again. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ has received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, sorry, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises 
so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and for he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we will hear your voice, that we will hear what you have to say, that we would not hear a person, but we would hear from you. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us tonight. Amen. So, this is our third week. We know that this text is written by Peter to the church at large and to general Christians about and sort of warning against um, false teachers. And, um, and so Peter begins by highlighting that we all share something. We all have something so special and so precious. It is something that we all treasure and cherish, and it is faith. But we also share grace and peace in abundance, he says. And then God's divine power and his goodness, he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. Through these things, God has given us the great and precious promises, it says. So we're invited to participate in this, in this everything, right? To, to make every effort to cultivate the garden, if we were here last week, to cultivate the garden that is our spiritual lives, because we have been crafted in his divine nature, who is a, who is a creator and cultivator. We've been designed by him, and so we become, we connect and participate in the divine nature. And so last week... We were sort of left with this picture, right? This picture not of a tree, but of a garden. And for me, in my mind, when I think of this garden, it's very lush. It's green. It's like so full, this, this garden. It's beautiful. And this garden that we were talking about last week, and this garden that I have in my mind, which is very lush, it is lush because we would have tended to faith, Right? Because we've cultivated faith. And we would have paid attention and chosen goodness, which adds to the lushness and the beauty of the garden. And we'd have sought out knowledge, thus cultivating that part. We would have made the choice to be self-controlled, thus making beautiful leaves and flowers in our garden. We would have learned, leaned on the Holy Spirit as we felt the pain and the blessing of perseverance seeing more lushness in our garden. We would have taken the cue from Jesus and acted godly. We would have washed or sort of watched 
what we say and extended family kindness to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we would have looked beyond ourselves and loved people. And as we do those things, we would have created and cultivated this beautiful garden that is ours, that God has created, that we get to cultivate and multiply. It was a beautiful picture. In my mind, it's a beautiful picture. And I think we were left last week with this beautiful sense of what can happen, what our lives can look like when we participate in the divine nature and we participate in everything that God has given to us. It's beautiful, right? Did you guys sense that? There was this, just a beautiful sense. Um, oh, God just sort of like blew me out of the water last week. Well, we have a bit of a different picture this week. It's a, it's a bit different. It's not so much a picture of a fruitful garden. Because this is what Peter says in verses 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, then they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And those qualities, again, are those list of of virtues. So they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So that's a little bit of a different picture than last week. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different picture. Um, yeah. I, it feels much different than last week. And Peter moves in this text. So he moves from these virtues that he's talking about. And he's talking about making the effort to be in this Christ-likeness and choosing these Christ-like virtues. And he moves and he's talking about if we don't have these things, we will be ineffective and unproductive. So last week we talked about how these, these virtues, they're not like a list of things that you check one off and then you check the next one off and you check the next one off and then you've got it. It's not something that's about perfection. It's not, it's not about being perfect. It's about a process. It's about continuously moving forward in it. That's what Peter is compelling us here. It's not a matter of if you've got it locked down. It's a matter of, are you continuously moving? Are you progressing in these things? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Is really what Peter is saying here. Are you on the way of constantly cultivating those Christ-like virtues in your life? And he says that if you are, then you are safe from being ineffective and unproductive. So, so you're supposed to be moving. We're supposed to be moving in, like in this forward motion. So is there anybody here that likes to run? You're a runner. Anybody a runner here? Okay. Bless you. Bless you. So I've tried, and, and I've, we've talked, I've talked about this before, but um, it just feels like I should talk about it again. Um, so... I don't like running. In fact, I have a passionate hate for it. I, I really don't like it at all. Um, I tried it. You know, I, I did a run once. Like, I did a race once. And then I hurt myself. So, so that's a bad idea. Ra- running is horrible. 
But people like it. Like Dave likes running. He does it often. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I've talked to runners. Like I find it interesting because there's a, there is something about runners that I just, I admire because there is a dedication. Um, so I, I have a friend, Shane, he did, um, a half marathon and I was like in spirit with him, like, you way to go. But And appreciated the dedication that it took to do that, but I have absolutely no interest. None. Um, And so I've talked to people like Shane, who are are long-distance runners, and I've talked to friends, actually, who are like, I just want to run fast, and as fast as I possibly can, and then when I can't run as fast as I can anymore, I just stop. That's it. That's all I want to do. I thought, "That's, that's all right. That's okay. So, in talking with these people about running, I have reflected on what I want to get out of running. And I have one goal out of running. And this is my goal. If ever I am traveling abroad, and there is a bad man who's chasing after me, all I want to do is run fast enough that I can get to the Canadian Embassy. That's it. That's it. That's all I want. Because in movies, the embassy is always just, just over there. It's just there, right? If I can just get to the embassy, then I'm safe. And that's really all I want to get out of the, out of running. Just survival. So I don't die. That's it. But in the, in the effort of running, I might die. So I don't know if this, I don't know if this whole idea works, but It made me think about, you know, often we treat our spiritual growth or our journey with Christ like a series of intense, almost crisis-like sprints. That we use these crises as, as motivators to get to the embassy, right? And it's a matter of like, if I could just get there, then if I get there, then I'll, I'll get my, I'll get my virtue, And somehow if I get to the other side of the gate, I'll have holiness. I'll have goodness. Oh, I just need that crisis. I just need that crisis so that I can learn that lesson and then it's done. Right? I know that sounds ridiculous. I've thought that. I've, I've thought similar thoughts. If I could just, I just need to have like one major like patience problem and then I can nail patience and then I'm done. Right? Right? Jesus, just give me that one person. And then I can learn my lesson and I can be over with. Right? Like that's sometimes we, we, we treat our journey of faith like that. And yet, that's not the case, is it? Right? We know, that it's, we know that it's a race, that it's a long haul. Right? We know that it's not to an embassy. We know that our life with Christ and our journey of faith is the long journey back to the homeland right? Like it is, it is the long journey. And so since it is not a sprint where we can quickly achieve the things that we want, but a long journey where we have to go back to the homeland, we have to make choices. Every moment of every day, we have to make a choice. Like my friend Shane, he had to make the choice every single day to get up and go running. He would like, he had a beard like bigger than Gavin's. 
like that's not like a no it's not like a thing it's more of just like a context get a picture like that's it that's it I, no 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 ill no ill was meant <laughs> but he would come back to the office with like snot frozen in his beard that is choosing every day the goal are we willing to have spiritual snot frozen to our faces? <laughs> what a picture. That's not in my notes. That's not in my notes. But we have to choose. We have to choose not just day by day, but we have to choose moment by moment whether we're going to cultivate our faith. We have to make that choice every single day. Because if we don't make a choice every single moment of every single day, then we won't. We won't cultivate. We, we won't engage with the everything that God has given us. We have to make the choice every single moment. And so this idea of like, of being ineffective and unproductive or effective and productive, I think again of that image that Jesus says in John 15 when he talks about how we are the branches and he is the vine. And if we remain in him, to remain is constant choice. It's a constant choice. Are we going to remain? And if we remain, if we know him, then fruit will abide. Right? And so we are faced with the same thing. Peter is sort of suggesting the same thing. That if we choose every day to cultivate, then we will be effective and productive. Then we will have that lush, beautiful, spiritual life that sounds like that beautiful, lush garden. But if we are ineffective and unproductive in our life of faith, Peter says that, he, that we are nearsighted and blind, forgetting that we have been cleansed from our past sins. Nearsighted and blind. That's big words. Like, that's like a big concept there. In fact, the words nearsighted and blind, um, how, like, how can one be nearsighted and blind? You're either, bl- you're, if, you're near, if you're blind, then you're no, no longer nearsighted. And so it's not just like a weird way to say it. Um, it's not just weird for us. And it's actually quite peculiar for Greek language. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird way to thing to say, It doesn't occur very often in Greek language, and it only occurs once in Scripture here. And the idea of being nearsighted and blind, it's not like it's a nearsighted, comma, blind, as if it's the same thing. And it's not a matter that, like, one means the same, right? Like, blind equals nearsighted, nearsighted equals blind. That is not what Peter is saying here. It's not just to make a point. He's making a point, but he's making a very significant point by saying nearsighted and blind because the text reads more like this. It would read so nearsighted that they cannot see. So you're so nearsighted that you cannot see, but the idea of, of nearsightedness is a matter of shutting one's eyes. It's not just that you need glasses. It means that you're closing your eyes, commentators tell us. So to be nearsighted and blind, what it's saying is, is we are willfully blind. When we do not 
make the choice moment by moment. When we do not participate in the everything and when we do not cultivate what God has given us, we are willfully closing our eyes. That is a huge pill to swallow. This. When we, disen- when we don't engage, we shut our eyes. We choose to not see the things of God. Which begs the question, makes, it makes me ask this question. So this is the question I ask myself Perhaps you want to ask this question to you as well. Have I shut my eyes to the things of God because I have not cultivated what he has given me? Have I shut my eyes? Right? Gavin asked almost the exact same question when he was, challenge- when he was encouraging us this, mor- this afternoon, this, the, at the beginning of the service. He talked about how often we quench or we, we won't or we quench the fire. I'm sorry, words are hard sometimes. Oh, gosh. Do we ever shut our eyes on the things of God? Because we, don't, we choose not to cultivate the stuff, the everything that he's given us. So I was reading um, this week in Genesis, in chapter 24, I believe, and it is... What has happened is Abraham and Sarah, they finally have Isaac. Isaac grows up. Sarah dies. So um, Abraham has now purchased the land so that Sarah can be buried. And all of that takes place. So Sarah is dead and buried. The next chapter, chapter 24, I think it's like the first verse. Could have been the second. And it says, Abraham was blessed in every way. That seemed peculiar to me because blessing in every way, in my mind, does not include a dead wife for him. I would think that that verse, and he was, Abraham was blessed in every way, would come like after, after the whole like, kill your son, but don't, right? Like, right? Like, I would think that it's at at that point when they are this beautiful family, they've been waiting for so long, Abraham and Sarah can sit back in their lounger chairs and think, boy, we are blessed. But it doesn't say that. His wife just died. And in fact, at the very end of the chapter, which is the chapter where the servant goes and finds Isaac a wife, and it says at the very, very end, once Rebecca is like now in the picture, that Isaac was grieving. So obviously, it's not feeling so great inside. Isaac is grieving his mother. I'm sure Abraham is grieving his wife. And yet it says that he is blessed in every way. So why these things connect for me is it didn't look like in every way he was blessed. And sometimes I wonder if I close my eyes to everything that God ha- to the everything that God has for me because his everything doesn't look like the everything that I think I want or need. And so am I closing my eyes? Am I cultivating the life? Am I being a participant in this life that I have been given? Am I being a participant? 
or am I willfully shutting my eyes to the things of God? Thanks, man. So obviously, surprise, surprise, the concept of being blind is not a part of like what Bible speaks of, right? The Bible speaks of seeing, right? In, in Luke 4, it talks about how Jesus came to give sight to the blind. Now we are supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, but the concept that we are to be like, we are like seeing it, like even in Psalms 34, Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's this concept that seeing is kind of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and, and Paul sort of explains this a little bit better. And he says, I, he says this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incomparable great power for us who believe. May your eyes of your heart be enlightened. They're saying it different ways, but they're kind of saying the same thing, Peter and Paul, hey? Like they're kind of saying that knowing the incomparable power of God we know that by receiving his everything, right? We participate in this faith. We know the glorious inheritance. They're sort of talking, they're talking the same thing here. And so it's this idea that are we going to willfully shut our eyes on the things of God or will we have our eyes wide open? Will our, the eyes of our heart be enlightened to the things of God. That is a participating, that's a like part of our participation. We get to choose whether we are going to have our eyes shut or whether we are going to have our eyes opened. And how we make that choice is whether we engage and whether we cultivate the things, the everything that God has given us. So, whoever does not have these things, those Christ-like virtues, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Shutting our eyes by not participating in God's everything causes us to forget. It causes us to forget where we come from. It causes us to forget what God has done in our lives. We know in James, James talks about the relationship, right? About engagement and faith, right? And in James 1, uh, verses 22 to 25, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives, uh, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, by, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So we had... 
Peter and Paul sort of talking the same language. Now we got Peter and James talking the same language. And they're talking about a major biblical concept, major biblical concept. And talking about not forgetting, what they're hitting on is the importance of remembering. James says that there is blessing that comes from remembering and doing. And Peter says that if we engage and make every effort to add to the everything that God has given us by cultivating that, that Christ-like virtue, that we will be effective, that we will be productive, that we will see God alive and at work in our lives, and we will remember what he's done. That's blessing. Remember what he has done, they're saying. Remember that he has cleansed you from your sins. This is a major, 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 major biblical concept. Remember. Remember. We see it throughout scripture. We see it in Psalm 78. It says they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, be careful, do not forget the Lord your God. First Chronicles 16 says, remember his covenants forever. The word which he commands to a thousand generations. Don't forget. Remember. This is a blaring statement throughout scripture. Don't forget. Remember. When we think, and when we think about the concept of remembering, sometimes we think of it as a bit more of a passive activity. Um, what, this summer, I had the opportunity to go and visit some friends of mine that Gavin and I went to Bible school together. Um, so I'm sitting in their living room, and it's so hot, so hot. Ontario summers, it's so hot. And so all we're doing is talking and drinking bubbly. That's it. That's all we're doing. And we're just sitting and we're reminiscing. And every single like new sentence starts off with, do you remember when? Do you remember? And they would say, Kim, do you remember when you said this? And I would just say, oh, I'm such an idiot. Like, I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't give up on me and that he is, I am a work in progress. But we constantly we constantly just kept going, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember this? And, but we were doing nothing. It was so passive. We were just reminiscing. And often when we think about the concept of remember, when scripture says remember, we think of it maybe as a bit more of like reminiscing. Like let's just sit back and let's just think about the things of God. Right? Do you remember God? That's not actually what this remembering is. It's, it's much, much more active. It's much more involved and participatory. It's a place where we get to choose to use our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirits to engage. We did that. We did it tonight. We came. We assembled. We scattered ourselves a little bit. And then we came and we sort of jockeyed in line, and we grabbed our cup, we grabbed our cracker, we went and back and we sat, we looked at people in the eye and thought, should we look at people in the eye while we do this? I don't know, this is awkward. 
We sang, we received, we ate, we drank, we prayed, we said thank you. We did stuff. We did stuff. We remembered by doing something. Jesus' commission, do this in remembrance of me, was not, when you got a minute, just think about this. Just reminisce. Do this in remembrance of me. We are challenged by Jesus to do this. Again, when Paul reiterates what Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, do something. Remember. It's, it's throughout scripture. And even, I love the picture that is in Deuteronomy 4. Where God says to his people, don't forget, but remember. So they've been walking in the wilderness for years. And they're about to cross over to the Jordan, over the Jordan. And so Moses is getting them ready. And this is what he says. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep it. Keep the commands, the Lord your God, that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you the decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded you, so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all of these decrees and say, surely, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them with the way that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such a righteous decree and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? Only be careful. Be careful. Watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade away from your hearts as long as you live. Teach your children, take action, teach your children and to their children after them. And remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn and revere me as long as they live in the land. And I may teach them to, and I may teach their children. See, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black cloud and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke. You heard him speak out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenants, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow. And then he wrote them on two stone tablets. 
And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow. Be careful. Watch yourself closely. Don't forget. Remember. Deuteronomy. Peter. James. It's all saying the same thing. Be careful. Don't forget. Don't be unproductive. Engage. Cultivate what God has given you. He has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Participate in the, in the divine nature. And as we participate, as we cultivate the faith that God has given us, our eyes will be wide open as we remember what God has done. That's our call for the Israelites. Their remembering was, was the key to their success. Their forgetting was the key to their failure. There's something about remembering. And there's something about not forgetting. John Piper says that the future of the church globally and locally and for each Christian depends largely on how well we remember the gospel of Jesus and all his precious and very great promises. Like the Israelites, our spiritual growth depends largely on how well we remember what God has done. This biblical principle of remembering is saying, don't forget. Don't forget God's grace. Don't forget what he's done in your past. Don't forget that he saved you. Remember what he has done in your past. Because when we remember what he has done in our past, that fuels more remembering. It fuels us to remember who he is. That he is redeemer, sustainer, life giver, freedom giver. We start to remember who he is. And then as we start to remember who he is, we start to remember who we are, a child of God, with authority that has been given to us that is out of this world. And that is found in everything that we have for life and godliness. When we remember by being active, we get to engage in all the gifts that God has given us. So it's not formulaic, right? It's not like a chain. If we engage, if we remember that God has everything, then we can remember, bam, great faith. It's not chain-like. It's more of a net. It's all interconnected. We remember and we engage at the same time, and one feeds into the next. It's not formulaic. So, where do we go from here? I'd like for us to just consider two questions. As we end night. What do you need to remember? And I don't mean this like in general. I mean this in a very specifically. What do you need to remember? Like what do you need to not forget about God? And what 
or how will you remember? So what do you need to remember and how will you need to remember? Some of us have forgotten that we were once not saved. Perhaps you need to remember that you have been brought from death to life. Some of us have forgotten that in fact we are a child of God. And perhaps you need to remember who God has created you to be. Perhaps some of us have forgotten and you're wondering why you're even here. And perhaps you need to remember those experiences that brought you here on September 4th. Some of you might have forgotten that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And perhaps you need to remember that that is active choice to choosing to walk into that freedom every single day. And some of us need to remember that God is in control and you are not. Some of us need to remember that Jesus loves you. What do you need to remember? What do you need to never forget? And how will you do this? I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we're going to sing about living a remembrance. So you could say that how you're going to do that is by singing, and that's great. It might mean that remembering for you tonight is just thinking. Asking, actually asking yourself, what do I need to remember? Perhaps it means that you need to journal and actually write it down. Get practical. We live a practical life. We have a spirit of God who lives within us and gives us the power to live practically. So what do we need to do practically to remember? But this is what I would challenge you with. Don't leave however you're going to remember. Don't leave it to this room. Because Peter doesn't talk about living out a life of faith in the Summit Chapel. He talks about how we are to live a life of faith. And so that might mean that you have to look back in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, sorry, and take a look at those virtues and say, to remember what God has done for me, to remember how good God is, I need to remember how good God is, that I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose like crazy to be as good as I possibly can to other people. And as I do that, as I actually live out goodness, I'm going to remember how good God is because I'm not good enough myself. But when I choose to be good, I'm doing it because Jesus is good. So it might mean that you do that. But please, don't leave it here. Don't leave it here. Then it's just a waste of our time, to be honest. Let's do something. Let's be people who live remembering how good God is. Because when we, when we remember how good God is, our eyes are wide open to the things of God. I don't know about you, but I want to see God move so much in my life. So then I need to remember, and I need to participate, and I need to be grateful every day for the everything that I have in Him. 
So this is what I'll ask of you. Would you stand just so that for those people who want to stand, you can do that. If you are wanting to sit and journal, please do so. But let's take some time and do a little bit of remembering this evening. You can do that in your seat. You can do that up here. Walk around. But let's remember together.